If you will, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25 will be our passage for today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. For the sake of time, let me go ahead and read those verses. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to you have been called uh, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray before we get started. Dear Holy Father, we come to you once again just thankful for this day, uh, thankful for your word, thankful for it being breathed out by you, for it being profitable, for teaching, correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be and equipped for every good work. We pray that, that your, as your word goes forth, you do this for your people, that if this be the first time uh, they are hearing it, or the hundredth time or thousandth time that uh, hearts are stirred uh, to love and good works, uh, to repentance, and to a life devoted to you, uh, may my words fall by the side, wayside, and may your words ring true in the hearts of, of everyone here today. This is our prayer, and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, the title of our sermon today is The Suffering Servant. Uh, we are continuing our walk through 1 Peter, and um, today we get another example of submission. Last week we discussed what it meant to be submissive to governing authorities or human institutions, uh, regardless of their worthiness of that and how our motivation is found in Christ, who is our hope of glory. This week uh, is going to be similar. We are discussing the servant-master relationship and how we may be treated unjustly and how ultimately how Christ, as the suffering servant himself, laid the example or the blueprint uh, for perfect obedience and how we should live in this world. So our sermon summary to, for today is found actually in, in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's easier to use scripture than to try to come up with my own words. So I'm going to, I found this in Galatians 2.20 in the second half of the verse. Uh, the sermon summary is this. Have it up there. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we'll see that. Uh, that summation of this sermon in, in three points again today. As we mentioned last week, every good Baptist sermon has three points in it. And uh, those three sermons are this, or excuse me, those three points are this if you're taking notes. Submission, suffering, and salvation. Submission, suffering, and salvation. Now, su submission, what we'll, how we'll see that is we'll look at our submission 
in light of Christ's submission to the Father. We'll see, and then secondly, we'll look at our suffering in light of Christ's suffering. And thirdly, we'll look at our salvation in light of Christ's finished work. So if we are called to live by faith and not by sight, we can truly understand that all that God has commanded, uh, we, we will truly understand uh, all that God has commanded and uh, live in light of that. Right? I think we can agree that if, if we do those things, if we walk in the manner that God has called us to, we will see and do the things that he has commanded of us. So with that in mind, let us go into our first point, which is verse 18, and talk about submission or to be subject to someone. I'm going to reread that verse for us. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, last week I didn't give a, I don't believe I gave a definition for submission, but I want to give one this week. And I was kind of racking my brain, looking at, you know, Webster's Dictionary and, and uh, the word submit in the Bible, what it means, uh, and, and kind of looking at pastors and the way they've described it. So I've kind of gathered all of that and, and, and have this definition that I believe works for us today. Uh, submission is this. It is the disposition or attitude to obey another's authority and the voluntary act of yielding to their leadership. It is the disposition or the, the attitude of, uh, to obey another's authority, the, the mindset, right, that I'm going to obey this person. Not only the mindset, but it's the, the action, the voluntary act of yielding to their leadership. This is another way of saying meekness, uh, humility, having patience, or being sacrificial. It encompasses all these things. Submission, when, when commanded by God, is, is, a, is a godly act. I mean, it is a godly thing. We, we can't think of it uh, in, a, in a negative way. Uh, 31 times in the New Testament, this word uh, that we have here is used, and there's only one of those times that it is used in a negative context, and it's more so describing the, the natural fallen man and his subjection or his submission to his flesh, the, the man that just wants to do the things that he wants to do, all the desires of the flesh. The other 30 times that it's used is referring to God having creation and subjection to him or uh, the elders in the church, the, the husband and the wife relationship uh, or the governing authorities, slaves and masters. All other times it's used in reference to God and, and his creation or the uh, roles that God has set up uh, within creation. <clears throat> so, so something that I, I that kind of came to mind is when we hear the word submit or submission uh, or headship even. There's, there tends to be a negative connotation with that, and I feel like that's why I have to spend so much time kind of prefacing and setting up what we're going to talk about because, uh, I mean, we live in the United States of America, right? We celebrate Independence Day. We think of ourselves as independent uh, of, of governing authorities. You don't, you don't tell me what to do, right? We, we tend to have that, that mindset, this autonomous uh, mindset that I can do what I want and I have the freedom to do so. You can't tell me what to do. So when we think of that, there's, it's rare that you find a person who's just, you know, you know, and I just can't wait to submit to my boss today and do everything that he's commanded me to do. I can't wait to go. I can't wait till my husband comes home so I can submit to him and, and you know, after a long, hard day uh, to submit to, to what, he's, what he uh, has for our family. I, I just, I'm looking forward to that. I'm just eager to do those things. That's not at the forefront of our minds on a normal basis, right? That, that's usually not the way that we think. What, what we think about 
is if you've seen you know old westerns or movies where there's these Christian overtones in a negative light, uh, you'll hear things like, you know, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. I'm the man of this house, right? We, there, there's that kind of mindset when we think about submission. Uh, then another thing is with, with kids, if I used to do uh, submission grappling, and, and with that, you, you give up. If someone gets you in a hold or a choke, you submit to them, right? You give up. You, you surrender. And, and we tend to think of, of submission in light of that. Well, I've submitted my rights to whatever, or my liberties, uh, even my pride. I've submitted all of these things for the sake of this other person because they've overpowered me. And, and we have that, that mindset when we think about um, submission. But what, what we don't want to do is just take this word and throw it out and think of it, you know, just because the world thinks of it this way, we're, we're going to find another word to use and, and, and go that way. No, let's, let's see what the Bible says and redeem this word. This is a, a biblical word. This is a beautiful thing when it's done properly, right? When, when marriage is done right, it is a beautiful thing. When, when kids are raised right, it's a beautiful thing. When uh, anything, in this life, if God hasn't commanded us not to do it, it can be done in, in the proper light. And submission is one of those things. So when are we to submit? Is, is every man to submit to every other man? Or what, is, what, is the, what is the purpose of submission? Well, specifically in our passage today, Peter is referring to the servant-master relationship. And we have to remember in this time, uh, there, was, there were slaves who were these bond servants. They basically sold themselves to the service of another because they had nothing, and they would starve and die if they didn't. Uh, but then you also had some people that were just house servants. They were people who uh, were similar to what we'd call like a nanny or a, a maid or a butler. Uh, they served in the house, uh, and they weren't necessarily owned by their master. But the words that we have here is just the person in charge and then his workers, right? But this term that's used here uh, encompasses all of, all of those, any inferior role, right? We have a superior and inferior. I don't mean that in a negative way, but just you have people who you answer to and you have people that that do the responding to that and that's what this is referring to here it's referring to these roles and and what we have to remember is the the people of God were dispersed right there was this persecution of the church they were on the run they were exiles uh, but the word of God was going forth through that people were getting saved uh, rich people poor people servants uh, slaves everyone was there was people from all walks of life that were coming to salvation and you had these people who were these servants that all they did was serve. They had uh, nothing else in life, right? They grew up as slaves. They, they grew up as servants. That's all they were ever going to be. They received salvation, and they're like, man, I'm, I'm a freed man in Christ now. Uh, I'm not submitting to anybody anymore. And, and that could have been the mindset of some. And, and these are the type of people that Peter's trying to address. He's letting them know, look, you have been freed from your life of sin. The, the wrath of God that was over your life has been removed from you. But the lot that I've placed you in in life, you are still responsible for that to me. So you, you need to submit to your earthly master, your earthly bosses, wh whoever you work for, whoever you answer to, whether they're good, uh, good and, and gracious or good and gentle with you or unjust, you are called to submit to them as unto me, as unto the Lord. That's what he's telling them. This is your uh, lot in life. This is what you're uh, called to do. And that doesn't that doesn't sit well with us, right? That that doesn't man. If I'm, you know, we see these movies with these uprisings of uh, rebellions against the the leaders and and taskmasters and this, and and we think of ourselves in that light. But what God is telling us through this word here is, if this is where God has placed us, 
There is a, 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 a reverence, a respect, um, a godly way of going about action in your life, uh, in your dealings with the person who has authority over you. Now, I, if, when I think about bringing this today, we don't see a whole lot of this house servant type of roles. I mean, we live, you know, in the United States of America, right, the land of the free, and, and we all have jobs. So it's, it's more along the lines of that for us today. We, we all are workers, and we all have uh, someone who's our boss. It doesn't matter if, if you work for yourself and your customers are your boss, or you work for a corporation and, and you have higher level, levels of management. All of us answer to someone. Uh, we all have someone that we answer to. So uh, that's more along the lines of where, where we can relate this to ourselves today. And, and I kind of think about that when, you know, I think to myself, I have a good boss, so, you know, just take this as hypothetical. Uh, but if, if I was like, man, you know what, if my boss was just a little more competent in his line of work, in his profession, right? He, he got a degree, knows all the book stuff, doesn't know the field stuff. Um, he doesn't understand. He's telling us to do this. That's not an efficient way to work. We should be doing, doing things this way. Or uh, they, they yell at me all the time. They cuss me out. They talk behind my back. Whatever the case may be, if there's any kind of unjust treatment that's befalling you for whatever reason, right, you don't deserve it. Whatever it is, you don't deserve the way you're being treated. We are still called to submit. But we tell ourselves, my life would be so much easier if I just had a boss that was nice, uh, gave me raises, gave me promotions, didn't talk behind my back, complimented me here and there. Right? We tell ourselves that, right? That if, you know, this job would be that much easier if these trials, these pains, these sufferings weren't in there. If I can just get rid of those, oh man, it'd be smooth sailing. This job would be, would, would be gravy. But what we need to realize is we can have 101 excuses why we don't want to submit to the governing, or excuse me, the, the authority figure over us, the, the, the boss that is over us. But this life is not about us. It's not, we are not in control of this life. God is God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he's, he's called us to obey. He has called us to submit to this authority that's over us. So if, if submission is this attitude or disposition to obey another's authority and the voluntary act of yielding to their leadership, and our first point is to see this in light of Christ's submission, how do we see that? Because I can tell you this all day long and try to put forth a convincing argument to tell you, in my own words, that, that you need to do these things. But we always go back to God's word. His word is our authority. His word is always true. Right. I, I'm, I'm falling. I'm flawed. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm, I'm going to come back and listen to this sermon and realize I shouldn't have said some of the things that I've said. But God's word remains true. His word is always true. So we have to go back to that. So what has God said and what has Christ shown us about his submission? Well, we see one example in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. This is how Christ submitted. It says this, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, which meant he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped by, by others. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. Right, The God of this universe, the one who holds all things together by the word of his power, humiliated himself by taking on flesh, by taking on you know, this, this dying flesh. Right? We, we all grow old and, and, and pass away. The God of this universe took on flesh, humbled himself to that point, came into his creation and, and died for his people. He did, he did that as a servant to serve, to serve someone, right? God sent him, and he did all that the Father had commanded him. And he did so to the point of death. So I ask you, have you submitted or become obedient to the point of death? Is that something you've done? I would venture to say that we're all here today that we didn't do it, right? This is what Christ did. He is our prime example of submission. He did it to the point of death. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, before we go any further, let me make this clear. When it comes to our submission to our bosses at work and all of that, we are never, ever, let me repeat it, never, ever commanded to do anything illegal, unjust, unfair. If, if we are breaking God's law to submit to man, we are sinning. Like We, we, we never ever break God's law. We, we follow God's law to the point of death, right? We, we never bend that. So if, if man is, if your boss has called you to fudge numbers or to uh, miscount um, inventory or, or to do something illegal based on the job that you have to ensure a particular result, you do not do that. You do not submit to that. That is not submitting as unto the Lord. Right, that's submitting unto man. That, that's, that's with no end result of trying to please the Father. So we don't submit to that. And the suffering you may endure unjustly by doing that may be losing your job. That may be the unjust treatment that you receive. Is No, I'm, God has said this. He has spoken to this. I'm not going to do this. Fine, I don't need you anymore. That may be the result of it. Right, but what has his word said? What what does his word tell us? It said, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this as a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's going to be in our next point. But just that's that's the type of submission that we're talking about. You don't submit to those things. You submit to to anything that if he tells you to hop on one foot, you do that. Right. If you got to do it, there's nothing unjust about hopping on one foot, even if it hurts. Uh, but you got to do it. If he tells you to break the law, break God's law, you don't do it. So submission is a beautiful thing, and it, it pleases God when we obey and submit to our earthly masters, but sometimes that godly submission leads to suffering. So let's look at verses uh, 19 through 20 and see just that. I'm going to reread those verses. It says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, when having God first in your mind, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, we're going to talk about suffering here. Suffering 
can be a, a relative thing. Now, now, what do I mean by that? I mean that what I consider suffering, you may not consider suffering. And this word here has, has a, a wide uh, range of meaning for, for suffering. Uh, I'm sure some of y'all have heard of the, the man flu or the man cold where, you know, a guy gets sick and it's the end of the world, right? And for him, for that man, it's, it's the end of the world, right? It's, it's the end of the world for him. Uh, but you may look at him like, you, you, you're barely running a fever. Like, what's going on, right? So for that person, it's, that, it's real, right? It's relative. It's, it's real for them. Uh, for you, you get sick and, you know, maybe you're a trooper and you just fight through it and you're, you're wonderful, right? And, uh, I mean, we got to praise God for those people. But, I mean, I'd probably fall in the other category. Um, but that, that's, that's, it's relative, right? That, that's suffering for that person. Uh, suffering for you may be not getting to dye your hair and cover the grays. I don't know. It, it may be a, a bunch of things, right? I mean, it could be a lot of stuff. There, there's a lot of things that, you know, just being embarrassed, right? That, that, there's a wide array of things that, that we can consider suffering because it is, it is relative to our reality. I mean, if, if we're being honest, that's what's, what's suffering for me. I, I can't feel your pain physically, right? So what I go through is, is it could be painful for me. And this word suffering, it, it literally means to undergo evil. It means to be annoyed, to be grieved, or to experience pain, right? This, this, is, this is standard stuff, right? Uh, to undergo evil means... Somebody could break into your house and, and rob you. Uh, you could lose your job. You could be paralyzed by a drunk driver. Um, you could be bullied at school. You can be mocked and ridiculed at work. You can be annoyed by someone who continually brings up your past, right, after they've claimed they've forgiven you. It can be a, a wider range of, a, array of things. But all those encompass suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. All that is, is, is suffering, right? It's there's persecution, which is suffering, but then there's just suffering. That, that's that's the, the fallen world that we live in. So I, I, I say all that just to bring to light that we all suffer to some extent, right? All of us suffer in different ways, health, finances, uh, chronic ailments, you know, um, loneliness. It, it can be anything, right? Depression. There, there's all kind of things that fall under the, the realm of suffering, but according to this passage here, what type of suffering we're talking about is due from the, the relationship you have with your bosses. Um, and, and for us, we are called to endure that. And, and when we endure the suffering that's given to us by our bosses, whether that's through poor decision making, which leads us to do something that, that hurts us physically or financially or whatever, uh, if we bear underneath those things, if we carry those things in light of trusting who God is, it is a gracious thing for us to do. That's what the word is telling us, right? It is a gracious thing for us to do. Man, I know this is not the right way to do it, right? It's not unjust. There's nothing illegal about it. It's just, this is dumb. It's just dumb to do it this way. But I'm telling you, you need to do it. All right, and you go and do it, it messes up. Costs the company thousands of dollars. If you're doing it with, with God in mind, like, God, you've called me to submit to this person. I'm going to go do these things. That's gracious in the eyes of God. Even though foolish man caused all these issues, that's gracious in the sight of God. That, that pleased God. Your actions please God, because that's what you're responsible for. Right? You're not responsible for someone's reaction. You're responsible for every action that you put forth. Are you, do you have the mindset that I'm going to obey this person that's over me? Is your mindset to yield to their leadership over you? That's, that's submission. That's what submission is. 
even in the face of suffering. Now, something we must keep in mind also when it comes to suffering is this, that in the midst of our suffering, if it's at work, if it's somebody who's an authority figure over us, while we are going through this suffering, we should not try to reason out why we are suffering or look to others and their suffering as a means to find peace. Let me say that again. We must not try to reason out why we are suffering or look to others as a means to find peace in the midst of our suffering. Right now, if, if I've sinned, right, if at work I cuss out my boss and I get fired for that, I'm suffering justly. I deserve that, right? But if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and he still treats me unjustly, that, that's, that's, that's unjust. That's, that's suffering for a reason that's unknown to me, right? I, I, in my mind, I'm like, I did this and I deserve this and I didn't get it, right? So why did I get this treatment, right? A plus B should equal C and it's not. I, I, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out why this happened to me. Let me look back in the past. You're, gonna, you're, you're, you're running after, after ghosts. You're, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find the reason why. And then that's why I'm saying if you're, gonna, if you're looking for that as a reason to find peace, you won't find it. You'll just end up like Job's friends. Right, Job, he, he, gets, he loses everything. He gets boils all over his body. His kids are killed. His livestock is, is destroyed. His home is destroyed. He loses everything except for his wife. He loses all those things, and his friends are like, well, you must have did something. God is punishing you for something you did. You, you have to have done something, right? It has to be that reason, and that's not always the reason, right? It, if, if we're searching for something like that, we, who are we not looking to when we need help? We are not looking to Christ. Christ is our hope of glory, right? Where do I look? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, right? It's not in my circumstances. It's not in reasoning these things out. It's not in looking at others and their circumstances saying, you know what? At least I'm not suffering like them, right? I may be hurting right now, but they lost uh, their spouse, they, their spouse left them, or uh, they, they got cancer, they, they had a, a miscarriage. I'm not going through that. I didn't experience that, so I have no right to uh, be this upset about my situation. I, I've made an idol in this uh, of my peace and of, of finding peace in something other than God. That, that's what I've done. If I'm comparing my situations to others to try to find peace, I have idolized that. God, as long as you don't give me those things, I'm okay. I'm okay as long as, long as I don't lose my kids or lose my wife or lose my job, I'm good. I'll take, I'll take a cold. I'll take that all day long. I've idolized those things. That, that I'm not finding my hope in the midst of trial in Christ. And, and with that, we, we have to go back to God's word. What has is, what is God said in his word? Well, like I said, we cannot reason these things out. We may not even ever find the answer for our suffering on this side of heaven but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 at the end of the chapter for now we see in a mirror dimly we, we see vaguely these things but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known I may not get those answers I may not get those answers that I'm looking for I may not fully understand this life what he has commanded me to, what, where this life is going. But I look to him. He is the answer to every question that we have in this life. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says this, For 
this light or easy and momentary, this temporary affliction, this pain that we go through, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, what are the things that are unseen and eternal? The love and peace of God that surpass all understanding. That's what we hold to. We hold to the love and peace of God. We have been justified by faith and have peace with God. God showing his love by demonstrating his love died for us while we were still sinners. Those are verses we've quoted today. We should tell ourselves in the midst of these trials, my God loves me. My God loves me. His love never started, right? It's eternal. It never had a start, and it'll never end. God, God's love is never ending. It never started. Think about that. He loved me before I was even here. His love is going to sustain me through this pain. These trials that I'm going through, they're only because God has allowed them to, to come to pass. They are for my good. Me suffering being mindful of God is a gracious thing. It turns me back to him. As this life starts to distract me, I get comfortable and get okay with where I'm at. points me back to him. Right? We need those things. Nothing can change that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No amount of pain or suffering or even be, being sifted by Satan. Right, that's what happened to Peter. And what, is, what does Jesus tell Peter? His desire was to sift him like wheat. But he said, I am praying for you that your faith may not fail you. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We're gonna go, we are going to be sifted like wheat. But we have a great high priest who is interceding on our behalf. Right? His prayers are always answered. He, he prays perfectly for his people. He is able to save to the uttermost. Not partially, not up until we do the things that we're supposed to do to the uttermost, completely. That's the way God saves us. He is our great high priest. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. As the song said earlier, he's our sure and steady anchor. He is the one who laid down his life for me, that he may pick it up again. He has that authority. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Read that in 2 Timothy. That is the word of the Lord. That's what he's telling us that. Your, your faith is, is going, it's going to get rocky. It's going to be shaken. I, I cannot deny myself. If I'm in you, I'm going to see you through whatever struggle, pain, and suffering that you're going through. Jesus is that suffering servant, and it's in him our, our hope is found. Right? It was... After this, this discussion, when I mentioned Peter being sifted like wheat, Jesus went on to be beaten, mocked, betrayed, and hung on a cross, and he died after that conversation. He's telling him, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to go and suffer and die. Right? The, the, Jesus suffered to the point of death. He submitted to the point of death. He is that example that we need. 
Now, through the submission and through the suffering of Christ, we receive salvation. And this is clearly seen in our last two verses. Let me reread those. It says, He bore our sins in, the, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Salvation is this deliverance from the, the wrath of God that is owed to us. Right? We're, we're all born into sin. We all owe God our lives. We're all death row inmates. And those who God sees fit to save, to deliver from that, we are delivered from that once and for all. We don't, we don't have, we're not on parole. Right? We're not on, on probation. Right? If he has delivered it for us, it's because he died in our place and those sins were uh, paid for once and for all. That's salvation. It's not temporary. It's not fickle. You, you don't lose it. Right? If God has saved you, if his love is on you, he's, he, his love cannot stop. And nothing can separate you from that. That's, that's who God is. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The full weight of our sin was laid upon Christ's shoulders and were nailed to the cross. Jesus did this willingly for his people, for his bride. The second half of the verse says, by his wounds you have been healed. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. And unfortunately, it gets overused in a, in a bad way and gets misinterpreted. Why do I say that? Well, did his actual whippings bring about salvation for us? No, it was his death. The death was paid for, right? He, he paid for it with his life. This word wounds, it literally translates to Wounds that cause bloodshed, right? His hands and feet were pierced. His side was pierced and blood and water protruded from, those, from that wound, right? Just telling them, okay, he's dead, he's gone, right? It was that death, those, those fatal blows that were given that brought about death and brought about salvation. And for us to be healed, a lot of us, uh, you know, tend to think, well, it's, it's this, it could be this physical healing as well. But this word, once again, in the original language, doesn't carry that meaning. What it, what it means is, is to, to bring about salvation, to make whole that which wasn't before. It also carries the meaning of to be free from error and sin. Right? You, have been, you have been made whole. Once before, you were not. You were corrupted. You were, you, you, you were poor in spirit, as the word says. Uh, but this is what made you whole. This is what healed you. It brought you back to who... Uh, you were supposed to be. This is the salvation. This is the deliverance that we now possess. It, it, it is currently ours, but there is so much more to come. We can look back and, and see that we were these strange sheep, as the verse says, but now we have returned. We have repented of our sins and turned towards the shepherd and overseer of our, overseer of our souls. This good shepherd that we now know, he, he knows his own and his own know him. We hear his voice and we follow. He gives us eternal life and we will never perish. No one will snatch us out of his hand. The father who has given us to him is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch us out of the father's hand because Jesus and the father are one. That's John 10, 27 through 30. Kind of paraphrase a little bit. 
So in conclusion, when it comes to submission, suffering, and salvation, we are to live this life in light of who Christ is and all that he has done. I want to close with a reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. I believe this encompasses what we've talked about today. And I want you to think about it now during the time we take the Lord's Supper, during our fellowship meal, which I encourage everyone to stay for uh, the rest of this day and the rest of this week. Just meditate on these words and what we've talked about and what God's word ultimately says, because it is his word that will set you free. His word is truth, and truth is what will set you free. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 says this. Beloved, those who, are, those who are loved by God, he's talking to his people, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and the God uh, and the, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Let us pray.